You're listening to Two Brain Radio. We make gyms profitable, getting you on track to making every day your perfect day. Every week, we'll deliver top-shelf business tactics to help improve your gym, advance your fitness career, and move you closer to wealth. Get ready to start building your bigger and better business with your coach, best-selling fitness author of Two Brain Business, Grow Your Gym, and Help First, Chris Cooper. Everybody hates their insurance company until they need their insurance company. My insurance recommendation is Von Vernon of Affiliate Guard. Before I get into this story, I want to make it clear here that I don't get any kickback for recommending Vaughn. But I've done it so many times. Whenever anybody online asks a question about insurance companies, I always say Affiliate Guard. Here's why. Years ago, when we affiliated with CrossFit, my insurance company dumped me. Uh, citing quote-unquote tractor pulls that we were going to be doing, whatever the hell that is. I've never pulled a tractor in my life. Um, I've driven lots of tractors, and I can tell you I don't think I could pull one if I wanted to, but that's besides the point. At that time, the person who swooped in and saved CrossFit gyms in Canada was Joanne Legault. And if you're in Canada, I recommend talking to her, period. You don't have to talk to her first. You don't have to talk to her last. Just talk to her, period. If you're in the States though, I recommend Affiliate Guard because the program that I get through Joanne in Canada is really, really awesome and all-inclusive. Joanne's personality though is what keeps me with their company. In the States, Affiliate Guard is run by Von Vernon, a massive personality, a crossfitter, a jujitsu guy. He drives dirt bikes. He has good-looking kids, all that stuff, and his policy is the best. It's really, really tough to tell when you're reading your policy if the benefits are the same as someone else's because they obscure stuff on purpose. It's just like taxes. However, when I'm looking at my policy, I ask myself, will that guy get up in the middle of the night and help me out? This weekend was a great example of Vaughn's personality. One of my friends and clients down in Florida had their garage door smashed open by a Mustang that was doing donuts in the parking lot. And they texted me at 6 a.m. on a Sunday and I wanted to help. So I texted Vaughn. He's two hours behind me and he responded right away. Your insurance company is not going to do that. As I said at the start of this, everybody hates their insurance company until they need insurance. And when you do need insurance, you want them to answer the damn phone on a Sunday morning and you want to talk to the head man and you just want to know everything's going to be okay. With Affiliate Guard, it is. Lacey Nelson is co-founder of the Iron and Mortar Summit, but her story is an interesting one. She was a professional for many years before she decided to stay home and have kids and CrossFit helped bring her back into the workforce. The reason that I was interested in talking to Lacey was twofold. Number one, I wanted you to hear about the Iron and Mortar Summit. Uh, Lacey has a very different approach to summits uh, than I do. She wants a very small, limited audience in the Pacific Northwest. But I also wanted you to hear how CrossFit can benefit entrepreneurs. And I keep driving this point home because I think entrepreneurs are such an amazing target audience for CrossFit. CrossFit will do things for a founder, a business owner that no other fitness will do. Number one, we tell them exactly what to do. There's no decision fatigue. There's no avoiding the gym. Number two, we have flexible schedules. They want to work out at 5 a.m., Uh, Before they get going on their day, that's fine. Number three, they can afford our service. And number four, CrossFit has brain-inducing and stress-reducing benefits that no other type of exercise can boast. It's great for entrepreneurs. 
And toward the second half of this interview, Lacey talks about how you can go meet up more entrepreneurs, how you can talk about CrossFit using the right lexicon, saying the right words, using the right language to bring more entrepreneurs into your gym. I think you're going to really enjoy this episode. And here is Lacey Nelson. All right, guys, welcome back to Two Brand Radio. Uh, today, I've got Lacey Nelson. Lacey was just featured in one of the CrossFit emails of the day as like local entrepreneur turns to CrossFit because it helps her in business. So we're going to hear about that. We're going to hear Lacey's whole story. We're going to hear about her Iron and Mortar Summit. Uh, first, welcome, Lacey. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to share my story with your listeners today. Actually, I have kind of an unusual path to business, so it'll be fun to to share, I was born into a working class family. So my dad was a logger and also was like the king of the side hustle. So he started many jobs to supplement his logging income and started many side businesses that came and went over the years when I was a kid. I can't ever remember him not working on something in addition to logging. And then there was off season. So surrounded by that. And actually I, as I got older, decided I wanted to go to college and I was, I am a first generation college student. So I'm the first person in my family to get a degree. And thankfully um, my siblings followed in my footsteps and the oldest. So that was very rewarding to, to be able to be that pace setter for them. And I went to school and stepped out of my comfort zone and realized that I was in the course of my education absolutely fascinated with how systems work. I love the big picture of how people interact with systems and how that creates change or doesn't create change. And I ended up getting my degree in social work and then very close to a second degree in psychology and sociology. So I am all about the people, all about the people and how people interact with systems and change. And so Right out of school, I landed an opportunity to work in a nonprofit that was doing outreach to homeless youth and connecting with them. And one of my very first projects I I got to be a part of was this program. And we realized there was this gap in the summertime when kids didn't really have anything to do. And little kids who were living with their families in shelters didn't have anywhere to go during the day because a lot of the programming required transportation to get there or it required dollars or often both to participate. So I realized I can't do this by myself, but there's partners in the community who we can make this happen. And at 21, put together a camp piece with some community partners, still exists today and has since morphed into an awesome, amazing huge program that helps kids find their way to education from, at, and they live in at-risk neighborhoods, but we took kids from the shelters and provided summer programming for them. That was my first taste of building something bigger than myself. And I was hooked from that point on. I was like, this feels amazing. I am building something with partners. I didn't like doing it. It wasn't a, a singular effort. It definitely took partners, but we're creating this thing. And if you do the work and you plan it right and put it together, people come and it has an impact. I was, I mean, it was mind blowing to feel that power and that power, not as in like evil rule the world power, but power of good, like to be able to do something. And so I was super just amped from that point on that my trajectory for working in that field of social work was the macro or the big picture, creating things to create change. And so from there, I 
I'm kind of hard to manage, hard to believe, right? But I'm a little, I'm a go-getter and I want to do, I have vision and I have passion and I wasn't quite the best fit for my first manager. They didn't really know what to do with me. So I didn't last there very long. And then my second job, I got hired at 23 to manage a youth program at Tacoma Goodwill Industries at the time. They've rebranded since, but Tacoma Goodwill Industries. And I was overseeing five um, staff all of them were older than me, five staff that were coming together to provide programming that helped young people in the Tacoma area get ready for the workforce. And these were young people that had often gone off the rails at some point and were finding their way back. And they were like 16 to 24, roughly, you know, my age at the time. And then, wow. yeah. <laughs> and so from from that, um, I had the privilege and the honor to be under the wing of some great career mentors that really took me in in that big industry, in that big um, organization, and saw that I had potential and really nurtured that fire and taught me how to take vision and continue to create and lead people. And what I found was the everyone can have a great idea, not everyone implements a great idea. And then thirdly, the next step. Most people, people, unfortunately, don't implement a great idea well with a team because management is an entirely different skill set than the work that it takes to get to the point that you're managing, if that makes sense. It's not, you can get to the point that you're managing a team by working independently and being a rock star, but then you're dumped into management and it's a completely different skill set. And if you keep doing the same things that it took you to succeed when you were working without a team, without being in charge of a team, and then try to just keep doing more of that, you're going to fail. And so you you can't manage that way. So I had to learn how to manage very young and I made some mistakes, but got my feet under me and got it figured out. And by the time I left that organization, we had a staff of 18. This was in five years. We had a staff of 18 and we're serving thousands and thousands of kids a year, several thousand of kids a year. And we had built the budget up from... I came in and it was about a 250 a year budget. When I left, it was well over a million. So really nice. able to build it up and did that through learning how to really work and empower and encourage my team and gain the skill set to work on my business instead of being stuck working in it on my program. So it was a nonprofit, but it took every element of running a business well is also are the elements that are required to run a successful not-for-profit. And so you have to be able to manage your money. You have to be able to know what's coming in and going out. You have to be able to cast vision and get people to buy into it. And you have to be able to network and work effectively within your community and make the connections you need to grab the resources that are going to benefit project and the people that you're working for. I mean, that's the, that's the same for all of us. What I, what I had to learn how to do was harness that. So I also then in that process of working for Goodwill, I realized, you know what, a youth program all by itself isn't nearly as valuable as a youth program that's connected to a trade school, to a community college, to a to different businesses in the community that are going to hire our young people when they come out, getting their buy-in, convincing them that, that this was worth the investment and something they wanted to be a part of. So I got to hone all of that during those five years. And then my husband decided that he wanted to go get his doctorate. And I, and pharmacy, and I decided we got married, you know, I was like 12 when I got married. And so then we decided that it was a big move and it was kind of a now or never kind of thing. We had no kids yet. Um, I was 27 at the time 
and we decided, hey, let's walk away from everything we've built here over the last 10 years and move to Montana. And we did. So <laughs> we had our big adventure and we moved to Missoula, Montana. I had no, wow. yeah, he went, he got his, uh, he went to school. So I was now married to a doctorate student. Wow. Yeah. Big change. Worked, yeah. Huge change. And I, I literally, like we literally knew no one. We didn't know anyone. And, I, and we kind of don't do things halfway. Like most normal people would rent a house there. We're like, let's just buy a house. We're so confident. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> we just decide we're going to do it and we go for it. And wow, that's what we did. Yeah. And uh, so we, we bought a house and dug into the community and he went to school and I was a barista for two, about three months. Funny thing about that is when I would have a stressful day at work, I would just dream about being a barista. Like when management got super stressful, when I was tired of dealing with people issues, I was like, I just want to go make coffee for people. Cause that would be fantastic. I know you love coffee as well. I am a fellow. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and I live, we live near the Seattle area, so mm-hmm. I love coffee. And I was like, this would be a dream job. You know, like two weeks in, I was like, this is the worst job of my life. I was so bored. (laughs) I was, it did not take me long to realize that working for someone else in a repetitive position where the the boss had no interest in my ideas for improving his coffee shop. Like it was not, not another, not a great fit for me, but um, I went, I got to know the community. So I would chat up everyone who came in and I was serving coffee one day to this woman. I was making her, I still remember a vanilla soy latte and I had no idea who she was. And she just at the end of our little few minute interaction slides me her business card says, Hey, why don't you give me a call later? And I was like, great. It was, we were slammed. It was rushed, stuck it in my pocket, wiping down tables a few hours later, I take it out. And it's the executive director of the local United way. I was like, well, now this might be better than serving coffee. So yeah, long story longer. Within two days, I was hired by the United way and I quit my barista job and I worked uh, for them as the manager of community impact. And so this was a a new side of the fence for me. I was sitting on the funder's side of the fence now. So when you donate money to the United Way, United Way then decides where and how they're going to allocate that money to programs that have applied for it. And so what I would do is I would vet the organizations that had applied for the funding. So I would take a look at their program design the integrity of their organization. So did they actually have all the pieces in place to be able to carry out what they were saying they were going to do with the money? And then I would take a look at, do they have the capacity to effectively measure their outcomes? Because I'm a data nerd. And one thing that I excelled at in my previous position, other than learning how to motivate people, was learning how to measure things effectively and the power of of measurement and helping people move forward and helping programs move forward and proving why you should get more money or keep your dollars. We had to do that constantly. And so I got really good at figuring out what are effective measurements. So I would evaluate their measurement tool. What are they measuring? How are they going to measure it? And then I would, as well as, like I said, the integrity of the organization. And then I would make that information I collected available to the funding committee. And then they would make their funding decisions. And once they decided who the money came to, it would get kicked back to me to monitor their progress throughout the course of the grant and check on, make sure they're actually doing what they said they were going to do with the money and keep an eye on the health of the organization. So I was looking at 
50, 60 organizations and really digging into them and figuring out what makes them tick and, and how effective are they going to be at, be at delivering this and testing it because then they got money and I got to see what happened. And that was a really great learning experience. However, I didn't, I, I was there for, I don't remember, a couple of years, I think, year and a half. And then I was headhunted by the county of Missoula. So wow. yeah, Missoula County came in and took, said, hey, want to come work for us? We've got a job that we think you'd be great at. And I then transitioned into being the director for the Missoula Forum for Children and Youth. And so what that position entailed was the not, it was, it was such a monumental task. And at this time, I'm not 30 yet, or maybe 30. I'm like close to 30. So at this time in my, my career, I was responsible for getting all of the for-profit and nonprofit organizations in Missoula County, not just the city, the county, to work together to create an intentional and comprehensive safety net for all the kids that work or that lived in Missoula. So what we had, what often happens is, especially in, it happens in any community, but it's more obvious in a smaller community because you hit saturation faster, you get duplication of services. And sometimes they're necessary and sometimes they're unnecessary duplications of services. But the hard part is, is you're working with people's passions. I mean, these, they're for-profit or nonprofit. This is their, their love, their passion, their heart, and they're pouring into it. And you're trying to get them to loosen up enough of a grip to consider collaboration and working together as a collective unit in the city, in the county. And the reasons for that are a provides much better opportunities for youth to have diversified multiple options of, of an array of services and opportunities for development, builds the protective factors. I'll spare you all the jargon, but all those important things in development of a young person. And then the other thing is when it is the nonprofit sector, when there's grants available, if you've got three grants going in, three proposals going into the same funder in a small town, and they're all proposing to do basically the same thing over the same pot of money with no collaboration, they're not going to fund you. I mean, it, it's really unattractive. It's a huge turnoff at a funder's table. And so what we tried to do was strengthen the entire network in the community and build collaboration and get people to work together. And I managed a team that was responsible for that as well, because we broke it up by age group and specialty and all that stuff. Because it's a little small, but it's not tiny. Like there's enough people in that community. So then I did that and my husband finished up pharmacy school and I got pregnant <laughs> and we had our first baby and uh, we moved back. I left again, started over and I left the workforce. When we moved, it was a natural transition. My husband landed a great job in our hometown, which is where we're still at, Yakima, Washington. And we wanted to be close to family and um, raise our kids near their cousins. And my parents and his parents both lived here. And we got back to town and he started this job and we'd had our first, our first was actually born right a year before we left Montana. But when my oldest was a year old, I found out I was pregnant with my second. And so <laughs> he was a surprise. So it was a back to back. My kids are um, five minutes apart, 21, they're 21 months apart. So they're pretty close. We, he started working and I was having babies and taking care of my kids. And I wasn't working. Um, actually, it was a great thing. We did move home. My dad was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer uh, three months after we moved home. So I was really glad to be home and be near family during this time. And um, he actually, he's a survivor, so he's still alive, but he's a rare 5% of people that survive pancreatic cancer. 
So we were home and I was with the kids and a lot of high stress time. And um, I also, during this time, I've always kind of worked out and exercise has always been part of my life, but it's never been like with the intention of pursuing a sport. Like I stopped playing sports by 10th grade because I was in choir and honors classes and I was not a like outstanding athlete. No coach was chasing me down. We'll just say that to <laughs> join a team. So um, right. <laughs> yeah. So I decided that I was going to, yeah, just take a break for a while. And I thought from the workforce, I thought we'll see what happens. And I pursued some athleticals. I ran a half marathon during that time um, when after my second baby to get back in shape, that was my fitness goal. But that was probably the most training with any progression I've ever had ever done up to that point was training on a plan for doing a half. And I did it and I was happy. And, and, uh, and then my brother, my little brother, giant brother, he was a collegiate level lacrosse player. Um, he was really into CrossFit and had like, he drank the Kool-Aid like long time before I did. And so for years, years, I had been subjected to a passionate CrossFitter in the family. <laughs> and uh, I, I uh, decided that fine, like finally I had been doing some boot camp. I, I was like, you know, I can keep up. Cause I, I was under the impression, like most people, you have to be like fit to even try CrossFit. Like you have to be and totally not right. We know that now, but I, I believe that. And he'd been trying to tell me otherwise, but finally I was like, I'll do it. Just stop talking about it. So I tried my first CrossFit class and we did like kettlebell swings and box jumps and burpees, I think. And I loved it. Like loved it. A, because I'm super competitive, just not in the traditional athletic sense. I'm competitive professionally. I'm, I mean, you're, you're competing for money when you're writing grants and like, sure. Yeah. And you want the, I am like, if I'm going to create anything, it's going to be the best. And that carries over into every part of my life. Like I was born with that sickness. So, um, the best kind. So I, I definitely had that in me and then competing next to my little brother, who's a, he's a big, strong, muscly guy who I could move faster than. And I was like, what is happening? This is amazing. <laughs> so he beat me overall, but I was faster at a few movements and it, I felt like Wonder Woman. And, um, and then the coach was awesome and I really enjoyed him. And I thought, all right, I'll try it. And the rest is history. Like I, that my one try it class, I was like within a week, I was going five days a week. So wow. Yeah, it was a quick transition for me. It also was a beautiful break from staying at home with my kids all the time because I went from the workforce 80 hour. I worked, I used to work 80 hours a week. I'm not advocating that as healthy, but I went from that to staying home with kids. And three years in of staying home with kids, I started to realize like, I don't love this as much as I thought I was going to the staying home all, all day. And I needed a creative outlet. I am not traditional in the sense that like, I don't like in our area, a lot of people, a lot of women that I would associate with got really excited about like refurbishing furniture and baking and doing like crafting. Those were their creative outlets and not to minimize that. That's fantastic. If that's a creative outlet for someone, for me, that's a special form of torture to make me do those things. Like I don't, not only do I not find them enjoyable or like fulfilling, I find them painful. So it was, I was like, I got to create, I have got to figure out some way to create. And my creating is building programs, building 
designing things, making things go from an idea to a reality with a team and a budget and a vision. And I wanted to work again, but I also wanted to work on my own terms. And my kids were little, they were getting ready to go into preschool. So I knew I was going to have some time to be able to have free during the day, hours that I didn't have previously. I was really trying to figure out what do I want to do? I knew for sure that I did not want to be a barista. Like, (laughs) had that down. No desire to be a barista. Did not want to go back to working for someone else. I had a couple of experiences where that, what am I going to do? And then I looked, my brother's a business owner. He bought a business from my dad and he um, is a very successful freight broker and has grown the company huge. So I was watching him work for himself. I was thinking about all of the things that I had enjoyed in creating my all of the programs that I'd implemented over the years. And what was it that gave me that fire? And why was what why was I good at it? Why was I successful? And I talked to some mentors in my life that talked to my own brother. I talked to people that had previously supervised me, people that I knew would be honest with me and not just tell me what I wanted to hear. Boiled it down to the thrill for me. What I realized the thrill for me is in the creation and the building and the mentoring of people. I love to watch other the other people turn from followers to leaders. Like I love building leaders. Love it. And when I would develop these programs, there was so much going on. I couldn't lead them all. I wasn't capable of of that. I had to lead the leaders that were leading these programs. And so that for me, the building, the creation and the leading just gave me the fire, that fire in your belly. You're, you know, you know it, you know, when you wake up in the morning and you, you've got something you're so passionate about that it like gets you out of bed. Literally, you're so, you're burning to write it down or to work on it. And you, that is, that is what gives that to me, gives me life. And so I realized in order to do that in the community and the time of life I was in, I was going to have to build it for myself, but it was scary. And I never owned my own business. I'd proven myself under these big internationally recognized brands of of organizations, but I'd never done it on my own. And I really decided that it was, I was going to take the risk. And this is where the CrossFit comes into my story because I was developing my passion for CrossFit at the same time as I was developing this desire to go back into the workforce and to create something that not only go back into the workforce, but launch as a business owner. And I was realizing as I was in CrossFit, in the classes, I was getting braver and I was getting more confident in my own ability in ways that I never had before. I mean, like I said, I've never been classically defined athlete. We'll say that. (laughs) So I was watching the progressions and amazed at myself. I was like, how am I doing this? I was going from, I started pull-ups like on the black band and if there was you know and then within it took me a while but within a year I was doing kipping pull-ups without a band at all and I was going from you know struggle struggle bus to do a back squat at like 155 to whoa I'm doing 155 multiple times and seeing this strength and this progression and in myself and here's the other thing that was critical I was getting really comfortable failing in the gym. Because if you're, I mean, we all know this and preaching to the choir right now, you can't get better at CrossFit if you don't fail. You can't get better if you don't go into a workout and do four double unders because for the entire thing, if that's your time to practice them, you're never going to magically get good at them. You have to be humble. You have to go in and work at things that you're not good at in front of people. And you also have to push your weight to find your edges. 
So like, where's my failure point? How did I know that 155 was my max? Because I failed at 165. That's how I knew. And so learning that failure is okay and that it's a necessary part of the struggle and of the journey and of growing. And so that was a huge catalyst for me to figure out, to, to finally um, say, you know what, I'm going to take the step and start my own business because if I can do this stuff in the gym and I knew how to put together a budget, I knew how to put together a vision. I knew how to, I had that base skill set. I knew how to put together a business plan. It pushed me over the emotional edge and gave me the courage to do it for myself in the business realm. And it worked. And I've made some mistakes, <laughs> but I keep going. That's, that's great, Lacey, because, you know, it's really popular in, in business circles to hear like, oh, you got to make mistakes and you got to, you know, you make them and you come back. But the truth is that most people are really scared of making mistakes, not because of their ego, but because it's costly in business to screw up, right? So how do the mistakes that you make in CrossFit, like the, the trial and error, how does that translate into business success? Like, is that a shortcut? It is because it, I think, first of all, it gets your brain just used to the fact of accepting that you're going to push your limit. And part of it is just getting over that mental hump of the fear. And really, too, you don't you don't start you don't go from like the PVC pipe to 155 when you're learning a squat. Right. You also shouldn't be making business risks that way. And so it's, I think we often um, don't break things down and really look at what does it mean to take risks. You mean need to be taking risks, but you need to be taking calculated risks within a progression that makes sense. And so that is where the CrossFit mentality of if you're with, if you have a great coach, they're going to be working with you through a progression and getting you up to a point. They're not just going to throw you in on day two and say, we're snatching, let's go. I mean, they shouldn't. So that's hopefully that, not anymore. No. Yeah, hopefully not anymore. I think we're beyond that. But that's that's where that crossover exists. It's it's generalizing that to how do I think about my own business? How do I go from PVC pipe to the training bar to the big girl bar to the weights? And then generalizing that to your business of taking measured risks within reasonable boundaries that isn't gonna rip your ligaments off your bones. So Great analogy. Yeah. Um, and you already mentioned confidence too. I mean, everybody knows confidence is super important for entrepreneurs. I think that's, you know, just, just automatic, but how does CrossFit specifically boost confidence like in a measurable way? Well, specifically, no matter what level you go in at or think you are, when you go in, you always have something to work on. So I talk about CrossFit when I explain CrossFit to non-CrossFitters, I'll sometimes preface it with, it's like my golf game, but I'm in way better shape than if I would just play golf in that I'm terrible at golf for the record, but the, the, there's always something you're going to get better at. Like even Matt Frazier can get better at something. Like we all have some area that we need to improve. And if you're intentional about it, you see that the only thing often stopping you from improvement is your own willingness to put in the quality of an intentionality of work and training that you need to, to get better. And when you can really boil it down to being intentional and having a high quality standard for yourself, no repping yourself when you need to, and no rep yourself in your business when you need to, as much as that sounds like a tearing down, it's actually a building up of confidence because it creates that, that if I do this an effective way and with a coach, mentors are critical. I am a huge fan of mentors. If I'm doing this with guidance, with mentorship, if I'm seeking wisdom, 
I have a higher chance of succeeding than failing. And however, it also teaches you that a little bit of failure within reason and progression isn't the end of the world. It's part of the learning process. So Lacey, there's, there's going to be a lot of entrepreneurs listening to this who aren't CrossFitters. So why do you and I choose CrossFit as entrepreneurs with busy lives? You know, we've got kids. Why CrossFit and not jogging? Well, I mean, first of all, jogging doesn't make your bones that much stronger. <laughs> there's, there's the health benefits, what time-wise, what you can pack in in an hour does so much for your entire body all of the systems in your body makes your bones stronger it builds your muscles it builds your cardiovascular system it builds your endurance it hit training high intensity interval training there's so much research out there about the value in that and that's a lot of what we do we do a lot of of intervals and it's good for our brains it's really good for our brains um crossover symmetry is uh, i'm awful at it <laughs> it tells me I've got some things I need to work on. Uh, I'm the I'm notorious for being the woman that like falls over midway. Told you guys, not lifelong athlete. I'll fall over on the floor when we're doing something that requ- requires crossover symmetry. Don't worry, it's just me. Um, but it, it helps my brain. So it really is like the punch you get in the short amount of time you have. I can I have not found anything that even comes close to comparing for the health benefits and the mental benefits you can get. In one hour. So. Okay. The only, the only thing I really add to that lately is uh, you and I have to make a lot of decisions over the oh, course gosh. of the day, you know? And so, you know, we get decision fatigue and that affects our willpower. And, you know, I go to my CrossFit gym because the, from the second I walk in, I get told what to do. There's no yep. guesswork. Uh, I get told how to warm up. I get told how to stretch. I get told, you know, shrug your shoulders more right to the end of the workout. And so I think that's a big benefit for me, but you're also a great connector, Lacey, like even within the CrossFit community, that's one of your biggest strengths. So tell me all about the Iron and Mortar Summit. Yeah, I'm happy to tell you about that. So the Iron and Mortar Summit is a summit that myself and my two business partners, um, Brendan and Ashley Lawyer, are, this will be its second year in existence this year. And it was born out of a desire to bring some of the, the brightest minds and the pace setters and the industry leaders within the CrossFit community on the talking towards the business side of the community together to inspire and encourage other gym owners to chase after greatness and also a real connection point for them to get to see in flesh and blood and talk to a lot of these mentors that they're seeing online yourself and other people that they're seeing online all the time or reading or hearing about, but really sitting down and having a real conversation with them. We keep the conference, we keep our summit really small, very intentionally. Um, It's only, we max out at 50 people intention of having it be a place where people can have in-depth and real connections and talk about real tangible things that they're struggling with or that they're working through in their own gyms and work with it with their own community of local gyms. And then also under the guidance and with some amazing mentors that come to our conference, to our summit. And it's really meant as much as anything as a catalyst and get them hungry for more and really connect and, and link to existing. We don't offer gym mentorship. That's not part of our vision and our mission that already exists and is available by people that are doing a wonderful job. We want to be that platform 
that helps people identify and connect the right fit for them. Figure out where does my vision and mission align with other people's vision and mission that are offering mentor opportunities. And what we did want to do also as a platform is I like to vet things. <laughs> so providing and quality and, and letting them know everyone that you hear from today or with at, at our summit, we stand behind that. And, and it's mm-hmm. all research-based best practices, information, um, people that are proven that are willing and able to guide you to the next level in your, in your own business and in your life, really. So for listeners to this podcast, last week we heard from the Baltimore crew, which are, you know, seven or eight boxes in Baltimore that get together every month, they collaborate, but what they had in common was they had the same route. They all basically started from one gym, uh, you know, push nine, push five eleven, And so that means they have this relationship already. They're very open with each other. When people are coming to iron and mortar, often they don't know each other. Right. right. So, so how do you foster that openness, transparency, abundance mindset? It's a great question. Um, part of what we do is at the end of every, we had our first one last year and right. first we just lay the stage. Uh, we set the stage, we set the culture, we set the atmosphere. When we welcome everyone to the summit, we talk about no one, everyone here in the room, including every speaker, has someone to learn from everyone else in the room. And that we all have um, areas that we need to grow and we all have things that we're great at. And we need, if we're not ever willing to be vulnerable with one another and let our defenses down enough to reach that next level, we're not, it's very limiting. So one of our, one of the, of our taglines is competition makes us faster, but collaboration makes us better. And collaboration is, is in any project in my entire career, no matter what I've been doing, the common thread that runs through my career is building collaborations and building and coming together to attain a vision bigger than yourself, be part of something larger than yourself. And so we really encourage people in uh, the Pacific Northwest. We set that atmosphere with our words. And then we also demonstrate it throughout the entire weekend. When we have our speakers come, some um, summits are designed, and not just in the, the CrossFit industry. I've been part of conferences and summits professionally for a long time. Summits all over the place or conferences. There's a lot of them in their design. Um, there's not a lot of accessibility to the speakers. They just kind of come in and are a flash in the pan and then they're gone and they're not really around for the rest of the summit or the conference. Um, or there is, there's so many people that it's hard to access. So we wanted to build something that fosters intimacy and vulnerability by making it small and by requesting that all of our speakers engage for the whole weekend and are part of everything that is going on and are at the networkings and that are, are, are also learners and participating in that at that level. And then also we, after the summit is over, we host a closed online Facebook group for the whole year for everyone who attended, including all the speakers, and they're invited to engage in that as well. So we continue by, you know, asking questions and, and encouraging and encouraging people to respect one another's boundaries and vulnerabilities and, and honoring each other's privacy as well. But knowing that we have a safe place, people can have a safe place to ask a business question and collaboratively work on it and not feel like it's an opportunity to get, you know, pounced on by the competition. That makes that's, sense. No, that, that's really great. I mean, is it sometimes challenging to get people to open up in front of other people? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think though, when you get that, like one or two brave souls that, that does it, like it just flows. 
So it takes the, the couple of people to be brave and then they set that tone and then it just, it's a flood when, once people feel safe. And so in my youth work, I actually had a lot of experience creating safe environments for people that mm. previously had never experienced a safe environment. I mean, I was working with kids who had been homeless, who had been involved in gangs, who had been, I talk about like over the top having a necessity to feel safe. So I'll implement with the summit, we try to implement a lot of those same strategies really of helping people feel connected, feeling safe and feeling, and, and a lot of it is talking it and a lot of it is walking it. So those, um, we are quick to talk, myself and my partners, we're quick to talk about our own failings and our own fears and, and model it and be vulnerable. And at the time when we started Iron and Mortar, the summit last year, we, Brendan and Ashley had always dreamed of owning a gym, but they didn't own one yet. It was something that they wanted to do. They were so inspired and encouraged by the summit and were able to lay out such a, a exact blueprint for execution that in less than 12 months, they'd open their own gym. And so, Iron so awesome. and yeah, Iron and Mortar the gym was born from Iron and Mortar the Summit. So that's pretty cool that that was able to unfold that way. Yeah, that's I didn't even realize that. I thought it was the other way around. So that's nope. really cool. So let's say that uh, somebody's trying to start kind of a meetup of local CrossFit gyms in their city, and everybody's kind of nervous because we're all just a bunch of alphas, obviously. And yeah. uh, but but they're scared, right? When you take when you take financial need out of the equation, then often that fear disappears, but, but some people are going to be defensive and scared. What would your advice be to them if they wanted to just start kind of like a grassroots community movement of, of box owners getting together and, and being open with one another? I think it's a great idea. This is going to sound oversimplified, but I promise you it works. Build it around food or beer and food and beer. Build it. <laughs> you want to give a, a common coming together point. And if you, if you can scrap together even some beer and then a taco truck parked out front, I mean, something where, where you can, people have a reason that they're coming together. Um, they know they're coming together to talk, but feels much more comfortable when you set the atmosphere where it's communal. Something magic happens when we eat together. Uh, I, there, there's something that's powerful in sharing a meal and that, that if you don't believe me, try it. So something that where you can, can create some, something you're coming together around a meal you're coming together around or food or have a couple beers. And if people are feeling scared, start small, start with something. Maybe you have this giant fear or giant roadblock you're working with, and you're, you're not sure if you want to be vulnerable. Maybe you start with exposing a piece of it or with talking about a piece of it and see how it's received. And also if you're the person establishing the group, you need to be not hoping that everyone's on the same page for the standard of privacy and the standard of being vulnerable and the standard of this is a place where we work together, we're collaborative. It should be a safe space. You have to articulate those things. They don't accidentally happen. You can't assume that everybody's on the same page that you're on or that they're operating out of the same playbook. They are not. You absolutely have to be clear in your articulation of what kind of culture that you're creating in these groups. And then you have to foster that culture. So if you don't have a space, if you're, if you're trying to look for that space and it doesn't, it doesn't exist, create it, make it happen, set it, you're, you know, go do it. And oftentimes too, we get stuck in this um, thought process of like, well, I don't want to commit to that for a whole year. Don't commit to it for a year. Do one, see how one goes, pilot it, and then make an assessment and go from there. That's awesome. Okay. Now, if I am a CrossFit gym owner, 
And I want to get more people just like you, Lacey. I want entrepreneurs. I want extroverts. I want fun, happy people. How do I do that? Hmm. I'm an Hardest extrovert. Question ever. <laughs> right? Well, there's actually, uh, first of all, your we entrepreneurs recognize quality customer service immediately because we're all trying to create that as well. And so we want top shelf and we're, I mean, it sounds a little bougie, but that's what we're looking for. We want a place where we're, um, recogn- our needs are recognized. Class times are created around what's needed for your community and your customer, not for the convenience of your schedule. Um, we want qual- big thing, big thing people are looking for an entrepreneurial level is quality coaching and not just cheerleading. So the distinction between coaching and cheerleading is, is we know what we're looking for and we want someone, we might not exactly know, but when you give it to us, we're going to be like, that's it. That's it. That's what we wanted. We want to understand why we're doing a movement. I want context. I want to understand what this progression is. I want someone to talk to me very early on in my experience about my personal goals. Why am I here? I am, I'm a almost 40 year old mother of two, like regionals isn't on my radar screen. Like I want you to ask me why I'm coming and why I'm participating and what, what, why am I, what am I hoping to get out of the experience? I also, as a parent, I want you to also treat my kids like customers. And I want you to recognize you don't have to build out this amazing kids program, especially if it's free and they like just go in a side room. I do not expect it to be like this amazing. It's a free side room. It's basically like a kennel to keep them alive while keep them off the floor, but learning little things like learning their names, recognizing that recognizing them as humans. And they're not a burden when they come in, like taking delight and joy in my kids. That goes a long way with me. I try, I, I do better when they're not there because I get distracted very easily. Um, but that doesn't always happen. I have to bring them in sometimes. And so when they're treated well, when they come in, that goes a long way. And also I don't need like, like top of the line equipment isn't necessary, but I would like clean equipment. I would like that. So creating a, an experience, your brand isn't just, your brand isn't your, your logo and your color scheme. Your brand is the way you make people feel when they come in the door. So really focusing on helping me to feel like I belong and teaching me well. I don't know. What else can I, there's more, I'm sure. That's that's great. And I think you also gave a few examples of like why you enjoy CrossFit too. I think if, if a gym owner focused on the stuff that you said here, that classes always start on time, the equipment is clean. Um, I always know what to do. It's the most effective way that I can get exercise in an hour. I think if an affiliate owner just produced a ton of content around those four ideas, they'd get a lot more entrepreneurs. Yeah. So we bring our friends. That's the other thing. Like once you get a, once you get like a core of entrepreneurs in your gym, tell them what you want. Do not be afraid to ask for what you want. Let them know. We want more people just like you. Do you, do you have any ideas for us? Do you have a connection point? People I could talk to. We love to help people. We love, I'm a connector. I like, I love that. I love helping people find other people. So they might even throw out some great ideas for you for marketing that you haven't even thought of, like ways to connect to different types of entrepreneurs, different people in the, in, in your community. Or like I said, they might just flat bring them to your door. Like when Iron and Mortar opened the gym here in town, I rallied everybody I knew and they put on a special come check it out class. And I think they, I think over 50, 
well over 50% of the people I convinced to come try it with me now are regulars and members. So, so there's another benefit is that a lot of entrepreneurs are connectors or evangelists, right? We, we always want to share things with, with other entrepreneurs and with our friends just naturally. So, okay. Well, Lacey, I think you've helped out a lot of box owners here. Uh, If somebody wants more information on iron and mortar at the summit, where would they find it? Go to the ironandmortarsummit.com. And we've Very got, simple. there it is, the website's up <laughs> and we're actually going to be releasing tickets next week. We're going to start with our returners. We give our returners a steal of a deal because they wow. helped us and helped us get started. And then we'll be opening up to the public shortly after that. But there's only 50 seats, right? Yeah. 50 and, seats. Uh, can you release some of the speakers? I know Jay Williams, a senior mentor from Two Brain, he's going to be there. Uh, this, this guy is an amazing catalyst for action. And I love that we keep saying catalyst because that's the name of my CrossFit gym. Who else can you mention, Lacey? Yeah, we've got Stuart Brower coming from WTF Gym Talk. We've got James Fitzgerald of OPEX, Jim Crowell of OPEC, and Rachel Brenke of Fit Legally. She's a lawyer that specializes in helping fitness professionals operate within the bounds of the law and stay out of trouble. Yeah. Kind of a big deal. Stephen Hitt is coming from Industrious and he is amazing at building community and he's going to be speaking some to that. And I think I I hit them all. I hope I'm not leaving anyone out. But yeah, we're really excited. It's a great lineup. We've got so you all have so much to offer. Your mentor has so much to offer. The people coming have so much to offer. And we just get, we're thrilled as Iron and Mortar Summit to get to be the platform to bring that to the North, to the Pacific Northwest. So it's, it's exciting to be part of something bigger than yourself, especially when you got to build it. So, so awesome. Well, thanks for doing all this stuff, Lacey. Thanks for coming on the show and, and talking to entrepreneurs and gym owners. Uh, I think they're going to get a lot out of this. Good. Thank you for having me. It was really fun.